0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch coming up on this Wednesday edition.
1: On the COVID package, which has been uh, negotiated at a $10 billion level, fully paid for, it will require, I think, uh, several amendments in order to get across the floor.
0: That was the Republican leader in the Senate, Mitch McConnell. One of those amendments would stop the lifting of Title 42 pandemic restrictions that even Biden administration officials admit will allow thousands of more illegal immigrants across the southern border. Republicans have refused to vote on additional COVID funding until there is a vote to protect the border. Also, he's back. We should be prepared and flexible enough to pivot Towards going back at least temporarily to a more rigid type of a restriction such as requiring masks indoor. That was Anthony Fauci over the weekend saying he may call for mask again. Really, I think people are finished with the mask. I think it's time to burn them. We'll talk about that. And is the Senate close to an, am- to an agreement on important human rights language that was tucked into a bill restricting trade with Russia? Kentucky Senator Rand Paul observantly detected the expanded language that could be used by pro-abortion administrations to target pro-life countries. Senator Paul joins us in just a moment. And yesterday in his testimony before the House Armed Services Committee, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs General Milley said this. We are entering a world that is becoming more unstable and the potential for significant international conflict between great powers is increasing not decreasing. Is there a reason the world is more unstable? We'll talk with General Jerry Boykin, former Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. Also, what's behind you paying more at the pump? Begging dictators to produce more energy while shutting it down in Alaska and other places. It's just, it's unbelievable. The results are very predictable. Higher prices. This isn't Putin's gas hike. This is Joe Biden's
2: gas hike.
0: That was Alaska Senator Dan Sullivan yesterday in the Senate. What do the economic numbers tell us about the Biden administration's economic policies? Texas Congressman Kevin Brady, ranking member on the House Ways and Means Committee, is here later on Washington Watch. And for those parents involved in the battle for education, this will come as no surprise. The educational establishment is fighting hard to keep their death grip on the children. We'll talk with Hedia Miramati, who is at the church of Pastor Jack Hibbs in California, speaking out on behalf of parents. And you know what? There was a time when education was about training the minds of young people. Well, now it has shifted to programming their emotions. Meg Kilgannon will join me as we talk about social-emotional emotional, learning. Later, here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com, lots of resources there for you. Be sure and check it out. Our verse for today coming from our stand on the word Bible reading plan is Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. What does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good. It doesn't get any more straightforward than this. How do we abide in the abundance of God's promises as we trust Him as our Savior? Well, we fear Him, we obey Him, we love Him, and we serve Him. I invite you to join us in our two-year Bible reading plan. Go to frc.org slash Bible. You can also join me each morning, 844 a.m. Eastern Time, for a daily devotional based on the Bible reading plan. You can find it either at TonyBerkins.com or at my Facebook page. Well, in the rush to pass sanctions on Russia, some Democrats in Congress attempted to shoehorn unrelated and harmful amendments into the legislation. We saw this specifically with the Global Magnitsky Act, which allows the U.S. government to sanction foreign human rights abusers. There are many benefits to this act, but the new language inserted left it rife with the potential for abuse such as pro-abortion presidents sanctioning foreign officials with pro-life views. Fortunately, as we were sounding the alarm here, there were those on Capitol Hill, like my next guest, working to fix it. Joining me now is Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky. He serves on four committees, including the Senate Committee on Foreign Relations. Senator Paul, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Tony. Well, I want to commend you for standing in the way of passing a bad piece of legislation that was very popular. And and certainly we all support the underlying effort of this effort, this measure uh, to restrict trade with Russia. But tell our listeners the concern you had about the Magnitsky language modification that was in this bill.
3: You know, we're kind of sticklers for reading the bill. In fact, I have several pieces of legislation to actually slow down bills so we can read them. This bill wasn't particularly long, but people become afraid of sort of the crowd. The crowd was moving in one direction. Most people are for doing something, you know, to um, show our objection to Putin's aggression. And I'm there. I'm for most of the legislation under consideration. But they decided to move as part of this something called the Magninsky Act, but they decided to take the definitions out of it that used to be in it and sort of leave a blank slate for, well, serious human rights abuses. And at first blush, you'd read that and you'd say, well, yeah, we're all against serious human rights abuses. We should punish people who do that. But if you don't define it, and then you listen to the left when they talk about what are human rights, it can get a person pretty worried about this. So for example... The United Nations says that you have a human right to the Internet. Most people on the left think you have a human right to housing, healthcare, and many of them think you have a human right to free abortion. Well, obviously, we steadfastly oppose that. But our concern would be that if you don't define what a serious human right abuse is, it could be that a country doesn't have free abortion and and a very liberal president of the United States says, well, we're going to sanction them for not providing a human right to their people. So the definition of what rights are is really important. Uh, Many of us have been having this debate for many, many years between does the government protect positive rights versus negative rights? Do you have a right to something physical or tangible or do you have a right To uh, freedoms, which are intangible. And so this is a long running debate, but it was going to pass and it was going to pass overwhelmingly because of the emotions of the day and nobody willing to stand up. But um, I've let my colleagues on both sides of the aisle know that I'll stand up, even if it's unpopular, and say, wait a minute, what about this? What about this unintended implication of what you're about to do? So when I stood up about a week ago to oppose the bill, they did heap insults on me. They said I was. Outdated, antiquated. They said I was a, uh, being obscure. They said I was a minority of one. They said nobody was on my side, and I should just be quiet and sit down. But interestingly, after I stood up, I heard more and more from a lot of people. A lot of people in the pro life community were already standing up. But we hadn't not yet had time to hear their voices. But in the end, uh, by standing up, they all threatened me. They all threatened to say things publicly about me. But in the end. They're going to go back to the original language, which does define human rights abuses as things that we can all agree, Uh, extrajudicial killing, kidnapping, genocide, all the terrible things that almost every human on the planet would agree as a human rights abuse. That's fine sanctioning that, but we have to make sure what the definitions are important. As you saw with the Supreme Court justice not being able to define a woman, definitions are incredibly important.
0: Yeah, and we find how uh, words are given new definitions and new meanings by those on the left. And to your point, this was not a a theoretical debate because just last month, the World Health Organization, I've talked about this on the program here, put out a 210-page report uh, calling on countries to remove all gestational limits on abortion because abortion is a human right. To your point exactly, some pro-abortion administration could pick up that language from the United Nations and say you're not a, you're violating human rights, and they could use these sanctions against them under the way the bill had been previously written. And here's an interesting thing: as we went throughout the negotiations, we thought we had even
3: more uh, language that would have been inserted that would have been more protective of the Bill of Rights. Basically, a restatement that things that are protected under the Bill of Rights would also be protected from sanctioning. (laughs) And they refused to have any uh, sort of reference to any Bill of Rights protections for uh, people that would be sanctioned. And it's amazing to me that we had a debate and they didn't really understand the irony of the left saying, oh, no, we don't want any reference to any kind of God-given rights or inalienable rights. Once again, even the justice in written questions, the just the potential justice, Brown Jackson, she responded that she's unsure whether there is such a thing as individual rights or natural rights.
0: So, Senator, a fix is in the works and we should see this move forward uh, soon. Yeah, and all
3: likely it'll go unanimously. And this is the one time when an individual has power. So when this came through committee, I tried to make some of these changes and I didn't have the power to do it because I couldn't get enough frankly, Republicans to even vote with me or to care. But on the floor, they don't have enough time. So people, sometimes people in the media, they misrepresent this and say, I can hold things forever. No, all I can do is hold it until they decide to roll over me, but it takes a week because of the Senate procedures, it takes a week to roll over one Senator who objects. So by objecting and then having a solution, um, we're able to still get it, It'll it'll pass unanimously but it, it takes the one individual who will object, and then they compromise, and then I let it go unanimously, and they still are able to avoid a week's worth of time getting through the legislation. So it does, it does allow for a senator not to hold things indefinitely, but to shape the course of things that normally I wouldn't have enough power to shape. And they were very bitter. I can promise you they were bitter, even though these changes seem like, oh, all we're doing is continuing the same law. We haven't really done that much. They were bitter about having to give in to me because— I was able to do this, but I was able to do this, frankly, because I was willing to take the grief that they try to, to give you through the public square.
0: Well, Senator uh, Rand Paul, yeah. I can tell you there's a lot of folks that appreciate you being willing to stand up and uh, and take that grief. Before we run out of time, uh, your friend Anthony Fauci saying that uh, we may have to call the mask back. When are we going to get beyond all of this, these government mandates? Um
3: yeah. Well, he's, once again, not looking at the science. We've had the lowest death rate, the lowest hospitalization rate, and the lowest incidence of new infection since the entire pandemic. All of the news is good. Now, if he wants to, in a month, discuss if we're up to a million cases again, he he can at least have a valid discussion. But to ask for more mandates and say, prepare to be locked down again when we're at the lowest ebb this pandemic has had. The other thing uh, scientifically that goes against anything that Fauci is saying about more lockdowns is that if you test any thousand people anywhere in the United States, a random sampling of a thousand people, you'll find that 95 percent of them have antibodies to either the virus or the, to the disease. About 60 percent of children have had this. About 50 percent of adults have had it. Plus, many of them have been vaccinated. So 95 percent of us have immunity and uh That's why the virus is less deadly now. It's mutated to be less deadly, but we also have a significant amount of immunity spread throughout our country. And so we should be talking about getting back to normal and getting our freedoms back and not listening to a word Anthony Fauci has to say.
0: Well, Senator, if you would, keep sharing the science with him. Maybe he'll get it at some point. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) All right, Senator Paul, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. And, you know, this is why we need good men and women of conviction that are willing to stand against the flow. And uh, Senator Paul is one of those grateful for his work on that. Coming up next, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs testifying yesterday before the House Armed Forces Committee. This is what uh, General Milley had to say. But I do think this is a very protracted conflict. uh, And I think it's at least measured in years. I don't know about decade, but at least... Years, for sure. Uh, This is a very extended conflict that Russia has initiated. We'll talk about it next with Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin. Don't go away. More Washington Watch to come.
4: Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily Scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God. And he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square.
5: to six seven seven four two.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. Again, the website, TonyPerkins.com. General Mark Milley testified before the House Armed Services Committee yesterday regarding the military budget request in the Biden administration's 2023 budget proposal. But he made some interesting comments about the current war in Ukraine. We are entering a world that is becoming more unstable and the potential for significant international conflict between great powers is increasing not decreasing why is the instability globally growing well joining me now to discuss this is frc's executive vice president and a founding member of the army's elite delta force and former deputy undersecretary of defense for intelligence general jerry boykin general welcome back to the program good to be here tony all right uh, I I don't disagree with uh General Milley saying that we are at one of the most uh unstable positions globally that we've been in, in in
6: probably half a century. Do do you agree with that? I do agree with that. And uh I think what we have to ask is why? And uh quite frankly, I think the uh we ne- we need to reflect on uh the fact that uh, bullies uh, don't challenge people with strength. They challenge the weaklings. And I believe that uh, we — what we're seeing is a period in in the history of this nation and the world where America's uh, strength has not been on display. In fact, I think that uh, Russia and China, as well as Iran and and, uh, and, and other adversaries like North Korea see us as being in a very weak period now. And furthermore, not only have they seen uh, weakness in our administration, but they've watched what we're doing to our military as we go about trying to develop this woke military. And they see that we're not focused on war fighting. We're not focused on readiness mm-hmm. and being prepared to meet those future threats that Millie was talking about. So he stopped short of
0: that introspection in terms of does America have a role to play in terms of leading to this instability? And I would agree with you. I think I think we do need to look internally. I think, you know, there are those like you and I and I think most of our listeners that understand a strong military is a military probably don't have to use uh, because it's strong. It's robust, it has capabilities, and it's focused on fighting and winning wars. We've departed from that.
6: We have indeed, and I I will tell you that uh, uh, I don't believe personally, uh, and I certainly can't prove this, but I don't believe personally that if if the last administration was still in power, that uh, we would have seen uh, what we have seen in terms of the invasion of the Ukraine. I think that there was uh there was a a strength associated with the last administration uh focus on military readiness. Just stop and think about what that administration did uh in terms of the budget, restoring the budget in terms of uh focusing very heavily on what do we need to do to make our military uh more capable of winning this nation's wars and then for example, just look at how long it took them to essentially to denuter uh, or to neuter uh, ISIS, and, and basically put them on the run, and, and for all intents and purposes, make them totally ineffective. So I, uh, I think that uh, strength militarily is the key to stability, not, not just in Europe or in Asia, but in the world.
0: Yeah, I think you have to factor in what the debacle in Afghanistan, the reentering of this Iranian nuclear agreement uh, showing not strength but weakness on behalf of the United States. Now, he mentioned yesterday in his testimony China and Russia specifically as global superpowers opposed to the U.S. Now, I think what we're seeing with Russia shows that in many ways they're an empty suit a threat nonetheless, but I think China is the greater threat to the United States. What are your thoughts?
6: I absolutely agree with that, and I think that uh, if you go back and look at previous statements that uh, Milley has uh, has made, uh, like uh, just a year ago, uh, he also agreed with that. He clearly stated that he felt China was the largest military threat, uh, and then he casually mentioned Russia as also being on the radar. So, yes, I think China is the biggest threat. uh, But but one of the things that I think is kind of interesting is that thus far we have not seen a great deal of support for Russia coming out of China. And I think that is largely because uh, the Chinese are now reassessing that relationship and how important it really is to them
0: is china is there still time with china for the united states to bolster its standing to continue to be or to once again be competitive and to keep china at bay
6: we're we're playing catch-up tony and very clearly when when you look at the uh, hypersonic uh, issue for example these hypersonic weapons that are uh, both china and russia have already developed and already have in their inventory and we're just right just now in the experimental phase and the test phase of these. So we're playing catch up on a number of fronts uh, to include uh, much of the cyber uh, activities that uh, we're, we're probably uh, slightly behind them. So, yes, we can catch up, but we've got to put the money and the resources uh, and make a commitment to uh, prioritizing the restoration of our military capabilities and uh, thus far, I see no, uh, no attempt by this administration to do that.
0: Uh, very quickly, with these hypersonic uh, missiles that we see, rockets, uh, do we have the, the defense capabilities against those as a country?
6: No, they fly too fast, uh, they fly too low, uh, and uh, they, they just basically outrun our technology. Final question for you as
0: we go into the break. Are you satisfied with the proposed military budget in the 2023 budget proposed by the administration?
6: Well, it's the largest ever and uh, and I think it is a good start, but I uh, I need to get into it and 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 really dig into it to determine whether what the answer to your question is. Yeah, more money if it's not spent wisely, is not a good thing.
0: And so far we've seen the priorities of this administration kind of moving in the wrong direction in terms of fighting and winning wars. General Jerry Boykin, always great to be with you. Thanks so much for joining us today.
6: Thank you, Tony. All
0: right, coming up, we'll be joined by Congressman Kevin Brady to discuss the flagging economy and what can be done to fix it. You're paying more at the pump. Why is that? Stay tuned. More Washington Watch still to come. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Well, former President Obama returned to the White House yesterday for the first time since leaving office. The reason for his return, an event to celebrate Obamacare. Now, this celebration comes amidst inflation we've not seen in more than 40 years, and of course, an energy crisis that's hitting all of us at the pumps. Joining me now to talk about this and more, Congressman Kevin Brady is the ranking member of on the House Ways and Means Committee.
1: Congressman, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Tony.
0: Well, let's start with the March jobs report and inflation. What do what those numbers tell us about the Biden administration's economic policies?
1: Yes, yeah, so the, the jobs number for March was fell short of expectations, but, but but not too much. It was over 400,000. Here's the challenge, I think, for most families and small businesses. One, job growth is slowing in America, but inflation is accelerating. As you noted, already at 40-year high, uh, looks like it's going to go higher and last much longer. So a lot of Americans right now are bracing for higher prices uh, moving forward. Uh, we're already in what most economists believe is a wage price spiral, which really always has a bad ending for American families and and workers. And right now, there's just no end in sight. Families, especially low-income families, families of color, uh, those working families, they are right now bearing, I think, the most crushing burden from these higher prices.
0: So, Kevin, yesterday, uh, former President Obama showing up to the White House to celebrate Obamacare. Uh, are, they, are they scrounging to look for things to celebrate about?
1: Yeah, I, look, I would not be taking a celebratory lap on that program. Look, it kicked millions of Americans off their health care plan at work, uh, forced them to lo- no longer be able to see their own doctors and go to their local hospitals. Secondly, did nothing to lower health care costs. They've skyrocketed since that bill became law. Actually, life expectancy has decreased since the law uh, was fully implemented uh, from 2013 to 2019, it actually shrunk in America, always a bad sign. And, of course, at the end of the day, you know, for most people who were forced onto Obamacare, they have seen dramatically increased premiums, dramatic deductibles out of their pocket, and, of course, narrow networks, so they can't even see the doctors their kids need to see. So, look, I, I didn't think that was uh, much of a program to be celebrating, but... Uh, In the White House's view, any government program uh, that still exists apparently uh, is worth celebrating, even though it missed its mark by a long way.
0: But, Congressman, there's even talk about expanding uh, various aspects of Obamacare by the Biden administration.
1: Yeah, so we saw this during the COVID pandemic where they expanded the subsidies and made them so lavish it actually became a barrier to Americans returning to work. About a a half a million Americans were getting better health care, you know, jobless, and they were returning to the work. That's been really tough on Main Street businesses, certainly on the economy as well. Now they want to fix a, quote, family glitch, which they created is in the law itself, and most legal scholars, including the Obama uh, legal team, said they can't do it through rules and regulations only by going back to Congress. And so, you know, I'm a little frustrated by... This now sudden change that they can make major changes that basically just subsidizes billions of dollars to really disconnect people from their insurance of work, which I think has some severe consequences.
0: Uh, Yeah, I think as we look down the road, it has very significant consequences for individuals, their health insurance and obviously their health care. Uh, you're our numbers guy, Congressman Brady. So the FY 2023 budget uh, has been presented by the administration. You know, what are some of the biggest red flags that you have seen in uh, the administration's budget proposal?
1: Yeah, it is, uh, Tony. It is a huge blowout on the spending side. As if you know, spending six trillion dollars in the last 14 months wasn't enough. You know, they're actually embedding a lot of those COVID-era programs and costs into the overall budget which which makes our financial crisis in the future i think much more likely uh, secondly they have are imposing or hope to almost 2 trillion dollars of tax hikes to land mainly on workers and main street businesses but without question will drive us jobs overseas and raise the prices on consumers as well so they're really taking turning the way I see it they're taking the failed build back better socialist agenda, embedding it into the budget, hoping they can move it sort of program by program through Congress or simply just fund it through the budget. Uh, I think they're going to fail on all accounts, but they are doubling down on the very policies that have made this such a toxic and unpopular White House.
0: 30 seconds left. Uh, Congressman Brady, any relief in sight for the American family?
1: You know, uh, not if these spendings in, t- in tax hikes go through. I, r- I really am worried that inflation is going to increase more because, you know, the housing prices really aren't in the inflation yet. Uh, gas prices are going to continue to increase. So far, the White House just hasn't given one solution yet to all these higher prices.
0: Well, and we may have to wait till November, another election to change uh, approach, ideology and political policy. Congressman Kevin Brady, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, dropping in today.
1: Good to see you, Tony. Take care.
0: All right. You know what? Elections do have consequences. The policies of the parties, you know, it affects you. And we're seeing that right now. Speaking of that, parents involved in the battle for education are faced with an educational establishment that is fighting hard to keep their death grip on children. We're going to talk about that next on the other side of the break, how parents can win. Don't go away. More Washington Watch to come.
8: Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications.
9: Visit FRC.org slash internships to apply.
0: You're listening to Washington Watch, and I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Earlier in the week, we were talking about the parental rights in education bill in Florida that's been attacked by the left and you know what? Governor DeSantis and the author of the bill, State Representative Joe Harding, have stood firm. And uh, it, it's refreshing to actually see uh, elected officials stand up in the face of the, the, this vicious left and now corporate America and, of course, Disney throwing in on this. So I'd like you to, uh, to send them a note of encouragement. And one of the things we're doing is a petition, a pledge, if you will of just saying thanks. Uh, thanks for standing up for parents, for children, for our values. And you can you can do that. You can sign it. Go to frcaction.org slash protectourkids. That's frcaction.org, protectourkids. Or just go to tonyberkins.com. We've got a link there as well. Add your name to those that are expressing appreciation to Governor DeSantis and uh, Representative Harding. A question that we have often posed on this program, I do it quite quite frequently, is what is our Christian responsibility when it comes to our children that God has given us, not the government, not the schools, but us? Well, our next guest recently wrote in an article in the Christian Post this, quote, "...as Christians, we should never ignore our responsibility to protect and maintain our children's values." We accomplish this by demonstrating Christ-like qualities in our own lives and influencing a collective governing body, such as a school board or a city council. She goes on to write, Friends, this fight is a struggle for the soul of our nation and is a fight we cannot afford to lose, end quote. The author of Those Wise, wise Words joins me now, Hedia Miramadi. Welcome to the program.
2: Thank you, Mr. Perkins. It's such an honor to be here.
0: Well, be sure and tell uh, our good friend Pastor Jack, we said uh, hello. he uh, He told me what you're doing out there in Southern California, and uh, excited about you advocating on behalf of parents and their children. You raised some uh, some very poignant in uh, points in your piece that was in the Christian Post. One of them is the struggle that parents are having as they've engaged with the educational establishment that is uh, slow to let go of the children. Tell us about it.
2: Oh, absolutely. So I recently moved to this area, to Orange County, but my husband began this struggle a couple of years ago before we were married where they just started to realize it. And I think it happened mostly during COVID, during the lockdown, that they had no idea the kind of craziness that their kids were being taught and not only was it the oversexualized health education and some of the values, some of the you know uh, liberal values, the socialism, Marxism, the the comment that we are systematically a racist nation. And so a bunch of parents just started to fight back and attend school board meetings, where before for 20 plus years, nobody was in attendance at these meetings. And one thing led to another, and through their involvement, they managed to get two conservative and one kind of moderate, uh, but two conservative Christians appointed to the board. And we're seeing remarkable change. In fact, last night, critical race theory was banned in our district, and it was an eight-month-long fight. But we did it.
0: You know, Hetty, you have a very interesting story. Uh, <laughs> you, for two decades, were a Muslim, a devout Muslim. Uh, you were a federal contractor working in the area of uh, anti-terrorism and ferret- ferreting out extremists. Um, you are now a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. How does that shape your view of our responsibility in this country as it pertains to our children?
2: Well, it's, so my past, it was people always asked me, how could you be a Muslim working uh, for the federal government? And I said it was actually my patriotic duty I had. I always had a sense of trying to protect America, and even while I was in Islam, I thought the greatest threat to the Muslim community was the extremists, was the terrorists to destroy the name of Islam. Fast forward now, I've had the redemptive power of Christ take over my life, which is an an extraordinary experience in and of itself, but that sense of Patriotism and now the values uh, that that Christianity has brought to my life and following Christ is something that th- our entire society desperately needs. Unfortunately, some people mistake. I see some of the comments on my articles. Some people mistake what I'm trying to say about our values as something we're trying to indoctrinate other people who don't believe it, but that's not it at all. We're saying we're standing for certain principles on which this country was founded, um, certain even liberties and religious freedom, but certain principles about the sacredness of family, about male and female relationships, about the, sacred of, uh, the sanctity of marriage that we cannot abandon just because it is unpopular at a certain period of time or because there are certain divisive agendas at work that want to destroy the nuclear family in the United States.
0: I mean, you have said you were patriotic. That's why you worked with our federal government even as a, a, a as uh, an adherent to the Muslim faith. Now, mm-hmm. as a believer in Christ Jesus, is that does that give a... A different sense or strength to those patriotic values, or is it still the same?
2: Oh, absolutely! The experience of of encountering Christ and having the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing in the world that compares to that. The uh, when when the Lord first called me to to make my ministry public and to make my profession of faith public, I was terrified. And through pr- through prayer and meditation and reading the gospel and reading the Bible the Lord was like, daughter, you are uh, battle-tested, combat-ready. And I, I couldn't understand what that meant, literally. But over time, I realized that my, my physical attributes were, had now encountered the spiritual power of the Lord that gave me discipline, peace, joy, these this internal transformation that I did not have as a Muslim. So there are certain ideals I might have in my mind or growing up in the United States, I was born in this country, but it's completely different when it is matched with the spiritual transformation that comes from a relationship with Christ.
0: So do you see, though, as um, looking back on that patriotic passion that your parents gave you by coming here from Iran to this country... Yes. that those th- those things those elements of America are truly rooted in Christianity and once you experience that it gives life to those values that America is built upon.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. It was it is a um it is a shared principle for people that are patriotic, but it's really I have to owe it to my pastor Pastor Jack Hibbs that really taught because I'm a product of the American school system, too. The the history, the the Christian foundation in American history, we don't really learn. And it's really owed to him that he has pointed that out so clearly and so demonstratively for me to be able to now know, oh, wow, this is not just as an American, I believe these things. This is as a Christian. And, I, and I'm grateful for that experience of, of being able to intellectually understand those Christian roots and not just being attached to it spiritually, which is extremely important, but intellectually, historically, being able to understand our Christian roots.
0: Yeah, I think that's extremely important. Hedy, one final yes. question for you. You know, as I quoted earlier from your piece in the Christian Post, you, you said that uh, this is a fight, a struggle for the soul of our nation. It's a fight we cannot afford to lose. Do you see this, uh, you know, obviously we're wrestling in the political realm but at its heart is this not a spiritual battle for the heart of this country
2: absolutely and it in a small example, my husband was at the board meeting last night where they were taking a vote. And one of the audience members asked him to stand up and pray. And there were these demonic sounds almost from people screaming, you're not allowed to pray here. And it was just, we, we see that spirit infecting a lot of the things that we do. But yet once the prayer began, those, those sounds were silenced. And that is because yeah. we, you know, we, we war against, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the, in the air. And we have to remember that. But when the power of Christ appears, those powers must disappear. They cannot, they cannot hold weight to what we have internally.
0: The key is we must stand up and speak up and declare yes. that truth or it won't yes. happen. Hedia, great to have you on the program. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining us today.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, again, uh, she's in Pastor Jack Hibbs Church, a good friend of mine. This shows the power of pastors preaching the Word of God as it applies to the world in which we live. Well, continuing on the topic of education, FRC's Meg Gannon, FRC Senior Fellow for Educational Studies, joins me to look now at You know, what? there was a time when schools were focused on shaping the minds, equipping the minds of young people. Now, it's really trying to corral their emotions. Meg, welcome back to the program.
10: Thanks for having me back, Tony. It's great to see you.
0: All right. Let's talk about these. I mean, there's so much to talk about on education. And uh, you know what? we got a lot of time to talk about it in the coming days, but not a lot today. Let's talk about this focus that has been taking place in public education as it pertains to this social, emotional learning.
10: Right. There was a hearing on Capitol Hill just this morning that focused on this topic, and this is a great example of a set of values and almost a faith system that is allowed in public school when... Other faiths or any any religious faith is not allowed in public school. The kind of, of emotional supports and character building that these programs are, are alleged to provide are exactly the sort of values that are inculcated by Christian parents in a Christian home or really, you know, a lot of religious families have certain values and disciplines associated with family life that make children ready to go to school and learn. And so, because of the breakdown of the family, and, and because there are so many children who are going to school but they are not ready to learn, um, educators wondering what are they supposed to do about that, uh, needing help to corral the kids. And so, um, this collaborative for academic and social emotional learning castle. Um, comes out from it's 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 a top down um, ideologically driven program that is supposed to address the the emotional needs of children so that they can be ready to learn, and I, I think what they miss so often in in cases like this is that when children come from perhaps a chaotic home life, um, the the. Um, the the order that they find at school is a great relief to them. And the academic accomplishments that they can achieve in that ordered environment are a source of great esteem to them personally. Like this is the the value of doing a good job and and learning something. That's a way to make children uh, to feel good about themselves. But instead of focusing on academics, they want to focus on making sure that the children are emotionally prepared to learn. And this goes way beyond the, the expertise of the average classroom teacher.
0: So th- this is where a lot of the, the feelings come in. It's about kids feeling well. And, and feelings are temporary. They're passing. But academic accomplishment, academic achievement is something that stays with you for for life. And so we've You know, to use the phrase that uh, was popularized a a few years back, the snowflakes. I mean, it's all about feelings. Um, Is there a point that we're going to get back to education? I mean, we see our test scores, math, reading, science all falling behind. Um, Well, is this registering with educators?
10: It's I'll tell you who it's registering with. It's parents like the woman you just interviewed. We are seeing this in schools, and while we certainly want children to feel good about themselves and to be prepared to learn, uh, we understand that learning is the point of going to school. <laughs> it's not for therapy, it's to, be, it's to learn. And so the more that parents see this kind of thing in schools, the more strongly they push back against this type of of. A content, and it, it's really sad that it's necessary, but this is exactly the kind of thing that's driving parents to schools, and she just said they've banned CRT in her school district. That is the kind of step that we like to see to push back on these kinds of things, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, we all want kids to feel good, but f- f- that's temporary unless it comes from something rooted deeply, and we know that the uh, the ideal. The ideology dominating our public schools today is not going to take them to the source of answering these big questions, why am I here, what is my purpose, you know, how did I get here? That's for the parents, that's for the church to do, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned as we move, as we see government move to try to bring in children at earlier and earlier ages, as we've talked about before, it's about shaping that world view. That turns them away from the true answers of life.
10: It is indeed. Every human heart has a longing, to, a yearning for God, for for that love, for the higher power, for for Christ, as we know as Christians. And so, um, the, the the drive to fill that need or to satisfy that need with something less than that, um, but that is legally acceptable or socially acceptable in the public school setting, that's. What, how you get something like social-emotional learning. And so we, we need to send our children equipped as, as Christians into that space, knowing that that need is, is served for them.
0: Yeah, and we uh, need to continue to see parents step up to the school boards, making sure that CRT and the, and, and, and we focus on the academics as opposed to the social and the emotional Uh, That's been uh, dominating. Meg Kilgannon, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us once again on Washington Watch. Thank you. And, folks, I know there's going to be a lot more said about education in the days ahead because it's a big issue. It is a driving issue, and I'm grateful for parents getting involved in taking responsibility and authority over the education of their children. We've got resources available for you if you're considering getting more involved Go to frcaction.org or go to tonyperkins.com and follow the links over. All right, thanks so much for joining us today. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, When you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing.